0: I hope everyone was safe and sound on Wednesday, not too much of a smoke breathed in uh, during Armageddon, but um, good to see you all today. Um, so we're going to continue in our sermon series, uh, Voices from the Wilderness, where we're going to explore how uh, various Old Testament prophets continue to call all the people of God, including us today, um, into a deeper holiness and into a deeper walk with God. Now, last week uh, we saw an example of how the, uh, sorry, last week we saw an example of the difference what it looks like when someone ties their faith to something external compared to someone who ties their faith into the person and the promises of God. And this week we're going to take a look at holiness from a different perspective by seeing what are some barriers that prevent people from entering into this deeper holiness that we're talking about. And we're going to be taking a look at this from Jonah chapter 4. Before we do that, um, I want to talk briefly about... uh, Dorian, he was a very handsome, he was a very wealthy and privileged young man who was basically blessed with every privilege you could ever dream of. And on one fine summer afternoon, much like today, um, an artist was painting a portrait of Dorian. And as the painting was going on, one of Dorian's friends, Lord Henry, he walks in and then he starts espousing this rhetoric, this, this theory, this philosophy. beauty. Not the beauty of the nature, but our And as Dorian was listening to this, he, he came upon this very interesting realization. He realized that he is going to get older day by day. His beauty will one day fade, but this painting that captures him will be immortalized forever. Unlike his physical body, which will degrade, this painting will pretty much almost Hearing Lord Henry talk about beauty and hedonism, Dorian he secretly wishes that this portrait of him would age instead of himself, and this wish came true. And so throughout this short novella, we begin to see Dorian's uncle. Uh, he began to prioritize his beauty, his pleasure, above all else, even at the cost of morality, and the lives of those around him began to suffer. And so for 18 years, Dorian never aged a single day, every single vice, every single sin under the world, and he began to give in the wickedness of his own heart. He would engage in, unfortunately, various affairs with married or engaged women. Uh, he manipulated and deceived other people in order to bend them to his will. And ultimately, his own vanity and corruption led him to murder his own best friend. And the thing is, Astorian. Jonah in our passage today, and at first glance, probably not much, but as we dig a little bit deeper, we begin to see that both Dorian and Jonah share a very fundamental problem. They are both deeply self-absorbed. They are both deeply caught in the comfort of their own desires, so much so that they fail to see the bigger picture. In the case of Dorian, it's his own immorality that he's blind to, and in the case of Jonah, God sends Jonah to a certain city to preach destruction, and Jonah's like, uh, never mind, I don't want to do this. But eventually he ends up going, and he preaches that, you know, destruction will come, the city repents to God, and the city is saved. God relents from his judgments, and this is where we're starting from. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, God's forgiveness, that is. This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. No, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord replied, Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plants. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plants so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he would faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, rights right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not end it, and make it grow, sprang up overnight, and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than a different reasons. In fact, these two reasons become barriers for Jonah from walking into a deeper relationship with God. And the first barrier that Jonah experiences is blindness to his bias, blindness to his prejudice. Right? In verses 1-3, to 3, we see that after Jonah told the Ninevites to repent, they actually did, and God did not bring disaster to the city. And as a result, Jonah tells God, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was at home? right? This is what I was trying to say from happening by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in the law of a God who relents from sending calamity. And then he ends up by saying, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the thing is, why is Jonah so angry? Well, historically, Nineveh, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, um, which was known for their Intimidate their enemies before war. Um, they would capture prisoners, and um, this is historically true. They would skin them alive, uh, behead them, or impale them. Very gruesome. And as the conquered city, they would then, conquered cities, they would then deport large groups of people from their home and then burn everything to the ground. And so basically, these people practice complete and total. Israel, they were on the receiving end of this cruelty. So as Jonah, he witnesses the fact that the capital of Syria, the heart and soul of this cruel empire, was spared from destruction and forgiven. Jonah's entire spiritual life began to crumble. Why? Because Jonah cannot comprehend the vastness of God's compassion and mercy for Israel's enemies. It's interesting to see that Jonah God alone. Jonah understand how God could extend his graciousness to all of humanity because of the prejudice that laid deep in his heart. Now, I think for us, it might be easy for us to judge Jonah, shake our heads, at his inability to extend God's graciousness beyond Israel. But let's pause for a moment here. Often when we read scripture, it's actually So as we delve into the Jonah story, we might actually find more of ourselves in the story than we care to admit. Who are the quote-unquote Ninevites in our lives? Is it a certain individual uh, people group, a particular culture, or even a political ideology that we find simply too hard to love? We also struggle with our faith when they succeed or lead lives that so blinded by his prejudice, by his desire for vengeance and justice, that Jonah falsely believed that God held these same prejudices as well. Jonah falsely believed that God hated Nineveh as much as Jonah did, if not even more. After all, why not, right? Nineveh was responsible for the destruction of God's people, so why would of Christ himself, I always find it remarkable that the first person to enter into the kingdom of heaven was not a holy priest, it was not a righteous person, but it was a criminal. who did something so awful Justified in our hatred and anger, especially if they have hurt us or someone close to us, but will we put to death our own hatred? Will we put to death our own prejudices and instead put on the love and forgiveness of God? Are we willing to put to death our desire for vengeance and pray earnestly for their forgiveness and salvation? These are some of the first questions Forward in the passage, we see that this is not the only time that Jonah wishes he would die, but a second situation. Absolutely. So let's take a look at that in our second sermon point, which is secondary, blinded by conflict. After leaving Nineveh, Jonah goes to the east of the city and he starts constructing a little shelter for himself uh, to see what would happen to the city. And it's funny because, you know, by doing so, Jonah still secretly hopes, you know, hey, maybe. maybe So he waits. He waits here patiently, and God suddenly grows up a plant right by Jonah, giving shade so that he doesn't have to suffer in the harsh desert heat. And for just a brief moment during that time, Jonah he begins to forget his anger. He begins to experience joy and comfort provided by the plant. Ah, what a wonderful shade. However, shortly after, God then sends a worm to attack the plant, causing it to immediately wither, and the sun once again. Anger that was simmering beneath the surface begins to bubble up and flare off again. And this time, his anger is not directed towards the Ninevites, but rather at the loss of this plant. If we look a little deeper. It's not really a plant. angry, I wish I were dead. And as Jonah reveals this to God and to the readers, we see that the second barrier for Jonah living a totally holy life is his prioritization of personal comfort to the point of wishing death upon himself when this comfort is disrupted. And through this, talk about Ninevites or God's call to Jonah, let's pause and reflect for a moment on our own desire for comfort. How often do we put aside things that are good because it's more convenient for us to do nothing? We see that even in our own lives, right? Who likes to go on runs? Who likes to prioritize health and fitness, right? No one likes to go running five miles every day. No one likes to be pushed to their limits, even though we all realize and understand, hey, that's probably good for our health. We all have comfort foods that we crave, and we eat a little more than we should, because again, it, I admit it to you, it's far more comforting, comforting to eat a cheeseburger or instant ramen than it is to prepare a nutritious meal. And so, when it comes to our own spiritual lives, the same thing happens. I think over the pandemic, most of us joked. from us, does not ask us to sacrifice it. It's it's far more comfortable to have a faith where we do not have to deny ourselves, a faith where we do not have to pick up our cross daily and follow God. And as a result of our proclivity, our inclination towards comfort, the unfortunate reality is that many of us have been sold a version of Christianity that overemphasizes personal comfort. Difference over involvement or convenience over commitment. Have we turned comfort into an idol in our own lives where it is over and above God himself? So, as we move on to our final sermon point today, it'd be very easy. It'd be very easy for me to guilt you, to do more, to be more, to be better, but that's actually not the gospel. With the fact that we are blinded by our prejudices, blinded by our comforts. It's funny to see that two times Jonah wishes he would die. And as we finish the passage, we are invited to a third death. Not to kill ourselves, but to put to death our prejudices and to put to death our self centered attitudes. And the way that God invites Jonah. God is asking Jonah to look at life and the world from God's perspective. After all, if Jonah can feel such deep sorrow for a plant that he didn't create or sustain, how much more does God feel compassion for a city full of his own creation? God is inviting Jonah to transform his heart so that God's that compassion and grace, they're not something that is idle. As we develop a heart for what is God, for what God is compassionate for, we begin to naturally move out of our comfort zones and into action. We actually cannot help but to do good. We cannot help but to love our enemies. We don't even have to push ourselves to do it because it's, it's no longer our own dead hearts that are beating within us, but it is now God's heart that is beating within our hearts. And just like world that is lost and desperate in need of his saving grace. We're invited to compassion those the society has judged, disregarded, or give up, given up on. And the thing is, all of this starts when we put to death our self-centered perspectives on people and on life. And only when we surrender both our selfish prejudices and desires can we actually truly begin to live. And only when God's heart becomes our life to die to yourself and to live with God's heart and compassion. What difference will that begin to make in our lives and in the lives of those around us? What difference will that make in our own personal relationship with God? And so as we're about to more than our neighbors we love we, we love ourselves more than you. we hate our enemies and we often refuse to even give the excess resources we have to those who need it more than us. We have not put to death the self. sins and shames are wiped clean through your Son. You have given us all a new opportunity to live our lives in a manner that is reflected of your own heart. Father, we just pray that throughout this week, let us examine our hearts. Let us take a full inventory of areas in our hearts